right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Adam Drovetta on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two days away from the real start of the NCAA tournament, although there is first four action tonight. You can hear it here on KLWN. I kind of like the first four. I, I've grown. I've grown to like it. It, it's it's just nice. It's extra little, basketball. Yeah, exactly. I'm not yeah, exactly. I might not watch every game. Might not yeah. watch every minute. But I'd rather have the option to not watch it than yeah, exactly. not have the option. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, once again, your NCAA tournament coverage here on RCST brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports, Big City Selection, Small Town Service on bikes, off-road vehicles, and watercraft. Located off Highway 24 in Topeka, make that fun and exciting purchase you know you've been wanting for the upcoming spring and summer. Your RCST NCAA tournament coverage also presented by Panky Foundation Repair. What's the key to a strong team? A strong foundation. It's the same for a house. Get your home's foundation inspected today for free. Plus, you get 10% off if you call and mention you heard this on Rock Truck Sports Talk for Panky Foundation Repair, uh, 785-505-0577. One thing I was thinking about with the, the NCAA tournament, I know a month or so back we, we did the draft of best reasons why KU could make a Final Four mm-hmm. and reasons what would prevent KU from making a Final Four. This kind of goes in conjunction with that, but uh, slightly different. There's there's a couple things that I think are very interesting to see if they could have a positive effect on KU that happens in the NCAA tournament. So I'm curious, and, and I'll, I'll share these three, and then we'll circle back to this question. Which of these do you think has the biggest positive impact for KU? The first of them, officials not letting as much physicality go. Over the course of Big 12 play, I think the league has very much been officiated, and, and I don't think it's been like one way or another. I think it's just been consistently officiated this way, that they have let more go. It's been more of a physical league. They've let more rough and tumble, and in a league where there are so many good defenses, and KU has been more of an offensive team, I think if you get into an NCAA tournament, and maybe if it's officiated more you know, freely, if it's officiated more to the liking of offense as opposed to defense, like the Big 12 season was, then maybe that helps KU. So that's the first thing. Second thing, just leaving the Big 12 in general. I mean, every night in the Big 12 was a grind because you're playing a good team. Um, The worst team in the Big 12 was Kansas State. That was still a good team. Or or maybe it was West Virginia. West Virginia was like 13-2 and or something. In the non-conference, Oklahoma State didn't make the tournament. Oklahoma was one of the first teams out. Oklahoma State might have been an NCAA tournament team had they been eligible. So the Big 12, obviously great, but it's also that the Big 12 had so many tough defenses. And that, again, for a team that thrives in transition, a team that thrives running, playing fast, uh, playing offensive basketball, although the defense has gotten better here, playing in a league like the Big 12 might not be great for your overall results. So leaving that, and if we remember how good, how um, fun to watch KU was in the non-con, yes, it wasn't against the hardest schedule, and this will be a more difficult schedule, but keep that in mind. So that's the second thing, leaving the Big 12. The third thing that I have on my list here, 
longer timeout breaks. Uh, for teams that um, play deeper benches, you know, if you look at the the history of title winners, I think 2017 North Carolina was in like the top 70 for uh, most bench minutes played in the country, according to Ken Palm. Every other team has been outside the top 140. So teams who play lighter benches tend to do well. And I don't think it's a, a situation of, oh, if you have a deep bench, you can't use it. I think it's more about, well, you don't need a deep bench to go far in the NCAA tournament. And I think one of the reasons why, you have longer timeout breaks. They're about double the amount of time. It gives players longer rest. And for a KU team that hasn't necessarily always gotten big contributions from the bench that might be closer to seven or eight guys in terms of the rotation for uh, some of these games, maybe not in the first game, but moving forward after that, especially for a guy like Ochag Baji or Christian Brown or Jalen Wilson, who might play 30, 35, 38 minutes in a game, having those longer time outbreaks are very important. And I also think about injured guys, David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, having a longer time outbreak might be beneficial to them. So of those three, Officials not letting as much physicality go, leaving the Big 12, and the tough defense is behind, although you still could play San Diego State, so it's kind of funny there. Um, but longer timeout breaks to give players the rest. Which of those three do you think has the biggest positive boost for KU in the NCAA tournament? If it comes to fruition, the officials. Um, if it turns out to actually be how things go, then I would say the officials, um, especially because you have a big man who has shown a, he can shoot free throws really, really well knock on wood, in David McCormick. Um, and so a lot of the banging goes 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 on at that part of the, uh, you know, at those part of the blocks. But I think a lot of it could also help the guards too because you, you have guards, you know, if you and the wings. I mean, if you got guys who like to drive and they're going to call more hand checking. Um, but the other side of that is KU uh, not being a particularly good defensive team, they're going to have to adjust as well. Because they learned to play defense in a specific way, too, even though they weren't. I mean, they, look, they were still, it's wrong to say they weren't a good defensive team. They weren't a good defensive team by typical Bill Self standards. They're still a really good defensive team this year. Um, but they, they grew accustomed, just like every other Big 12 team, they grew accustomed to playing defense in a certain way. So on the offensive end, that's going to help things because it could send guys to the free throw line and you've got some pretty good free throw shooters, particularly in David McCormick, as your big man who could spend a lot of time at the line if they don't let things go down on the blocks. However, that could be a recipe for foul trouble uh, for what you just said is not a particularly deep team. So that the other side of that could, could harm KU, but offensively I, I think – if KU has has, multi, has a lot of chances to the to go to the line, that's going to benefit them. Yeah, and again, it's it's not to say that the officiating has not favored KU or or that it you know has been one way or another. It's just that KU's style of play might be more beneficial if it's a team uh, a a group of officials. I mean, I remember Jay Billis, and you know there've been some color analysts who have talked about there there hasn't really been the freedom of movement allowed as much when they were calling Big Twelve games as maybe some of the other conferences. I mean, we're talking about a KU team who is as good as anyone in the country, not just in transition, but cutting, getting easy baskets, mm -hmm. getting two-point shots. And one of the, like, fouls off the ball of you're, you're you know, basically hand-checking the guy or pushing the guy or preventing him from going on a cut, those weren't always called in Big 12 play. Yeah. Again, it was, it was even. It was both sides of the court. So I'm not saying, like, this is one way or another. But um, just in terms of you know, a style of play that could benefit KU. Yeah, I could see that having I a just, big thing. I, I think it could hurt them on the defensive end, though. It absolutely could. 
Um, because maybe you're used to that style yeah. of play, right? But but you're right. When, when you've got um, you know, when you've got a team that loves to cut, we all you know we know how much they love that Princeton play where they bring their their big man up to the high post, and it's been a lot of McCormick to Ochai Abaji and Abaji ending up with a layup or a dunk as he cuts from the corner on that little Princeton back door play. So that that I think could be huge. Um, when you've got, I mean, uh, Dave was getting, you know, and, and it, look, it was it. I don't think the officials did a bad job, but he was getting really held in a lot of games, and all posts were in the Big Twelve. They really let a lot of of holding and and arm and arm barring go in the low post in the Big Twelve this year, and that's going to if that comes to fruition, and that's not as much allowed, and that's more cracked down on in the Big Twelve or in the um, NCAA tournament. Then that's going to one, it's going to get other teams fouls. And two, uh, it, it will send your guys to the line. Yeah, there there was a part of me for a while that did think that it was point number two here, which is leaving the Big 12. I could just see, like, KU going for, you know, 85 points a night or something. Well, you made the point earlier. I think it was with, it may have, I don't know, it was with one of our guests, I think Jesse, but you made the point about playing, you know, if you're a great hitter, playing with the weight on your mm-hmm. bat in the in the swinging with the weight on your bat, and all of a sudden the bat feels so much lighter when you step into the batter's box. That's what you're going to have. You're that going, was my thought, but then I saw the draw in San Diego State's number two in defense. Yeah, Creighton's but 19th, right? True, but that's your you know that's your first pod. Mm-hmm. If you get out of that first pod, then you're you're things open up. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I was not very good on defense, so that would open up there. But like, if you play Auburn in the Elite Eight, they're a top ten defense. So I I don't know maybe it will I I still could see that happening I I would still buy into that notion a little bit but I think honestly the biggest one to me is the longer timeouts timeouts um, what's gonna really help there is how often self self I can't remember at one point he put he took Ochai out at a close moment I think against Tech and essentially it, it's to maximize their like he'll he'll bring a guy out with about eight fifty five left. Basically, trying to maximize their their breath between um or b- ahead of the um under eight timeout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so did like, it with Ochai in the yeah, whole championship. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So like eight fifty left, he'll bring Ochai out just so he can rest, and then assuming that there's going to be a dead ball around about seven fifty, and then you'll have so you basically can steal a minute. You won't, you know, you won't necessarily have to do that, or you can you can take it all the way down to like eight fifteen. Um, with you know, in this in that case, you know, mm-hmm. you won't have to do it with at the nine minute mark. You could do it at the eight fifteen mark and still get a really nice long breather for your guys. Well, I guess the first part of this too is trying to diagnose like who do you think will. And I'm not just saying like who's going to play because you know you get up twenty on whoever you're playing, Texas Southern, Corpus Christi. Sure, KJ Adams, that comments. Those guys are going to play. Yep. But if we're talking like second round and beyond, and um, who's going to play within ten points? Exactly, exactly. Who's going to play in a meaningful game as part of a meaningful rotation, not just a, you know, oh, you're a good matchup here. We'll play you seven minutes today. Like, who do you actually view as being part of the rotation now that we're in the NCAA tournament? I'll go with the five regular starters, Remy, Mitch, and I think for the purpose of matchups, I think you could see more KJ and Zach Clements than you might expect. But for now, I'm going to go with, um, the starters, Remy, Joe Yesifu, and Mitch Lightfoot will, will kind of be unless matchups come into play. I I don't know how to view Joe. 
Um, I just think we've seen so we've seen enough of him over the last few weeks that it's pretty clear he's part of the rotation. I just wonder if with the emergence of Remy Martin in that game, if that was enough for Bill Self to say, sorry, the backup point guard minutes are now going to Remy. And and Joe, for example, in that game against Texas Tech where Remy did have the breakout, Joe played four minutes. Now, he did play 14 against TCU, 17 against West Virginia. So those would still say that for the most part, he's in the rotation. I kind of view it as, yeah, starting five, uh, Mitch Lightfoot, if Mitch can't go, then it'll be one of the young freshman centers. But basically, you'll have one backup big who predominantly gets the rest of the minutes. Um, Remy Martin will be a part of it. That's seven. And then I view one. One of Joe Yesfru, Jalen Coleman-Lance. We'll both play oh, in the I, game. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot yeah. Jalen Coleman-Lance. We'll both play in the game, probably. But one of them will play, like, one could play three minutes in the other seven. And I'm not trying to count the guy who plays three. So I, could, I, I yeah. think realistically, it's an eight-man rotation. I could see Mitch Lightfoot. Um, I could see him being treated differently for the one sixteen matchup than he would for the one eight. Like if he's seventy five percent going into the one sixteen matchup, I could see Bill just saying no, we're not we're not bothering with it, yeah, and risking it. We're because it's a one sixteen, and if you can't beat your sixteen seed without Mitch Lightfoot, you got bigger problems. Yeah, and so I, I can see him, I can see him sitting Mitch Lightfoot against the sixteen seed in a situation where he would play him in the round of 32 and beyond. Yeah, yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either. The point is that I don't think it's going to be a super deep bench, and so I think the longer timeout breaks clearly help. I think the longer timeout breaks, the biggest guy it's going to help. I mean, we hear from Bill Self all the time. Nobody hustles harder on the court just in terms of getting up and down the court, running transition every play, giving max effort there to not just open himself up, but open others up on offense, Ochag Baji. Mm-hmm. And having those extra breathers for him is so clutch. And then I think with Mitch Lightfoot, David McCormick, dealing with their injuries, having those extra you know minutes of break just to kind of catch your breath and just to you know feel like, okay, I'm fine. I, like That's going to be so important. So I think to me, that's the one I'm circling. Yeah, I mean, that... And yeah, that's there's every every good reason to 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 choose that. And you've got, you know, you've got, you know, whether it you're you're getting breathers in terms of you know getting your lungs back after hustling so much, um, you know, as a team that loves to run, that's going to be super important for everybody. And you're right, the more minutes you play, the more important it's going to become. And we've talked about, I mean, think of how good this team is in transition. But think there have been moments where. You know, it's it's not just your running; it's 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 keeping your focus. When you're when you're more tired, you're more apt to lose focus. Um, your 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 jump shots are going to fall shorter. Your free throws are going to fall shorter. Um, but then it, you know it's it's you know getting your lungs back, and but it's also you know getting your foot healthy with your if you're Dave. It's you know, twenty eight minutes of play can mean something different in the NCAA tournament when the timeout breaks are longer than 28 minutes of play mean on a Tuesday night in January when you're yep. on ESPN Plus and, and the timeouts aren't as long. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate's going to join us in 20 minutes. Kevin Flaherty at 440. We're also going to narrow the Final Four National Championship field with a fun little uh, kind of parameters thing that we're going to do in the 4 o'clock hour. Coming up next, though, Chiefs made some moves last night for free agency. Let's talk about them on the other side. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? 
You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Matt Tate's going to join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. Our daily poll today, which you can give us a follow and go vote yourself at RCST1320. More points for KU in the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Remy Martin plus Mitch Lightfoot plus Jalen Coleman lands or Christian Brown. All right. For the first weekend. Yes. Remy plus who? Remy plus Mitch plus Jalen Coleman lands. So you've got a guy who's kind of gotten hot lately, a guy who's shown an ability to score but may not even play at least in the first game, and a guy who, did he have a 20-pointer at one point? Why do I feel like he scored like 23? <laughs> I feel like he had one really, I feel, I feel like Jalen Coleman-Lanes had one game this year. I think it was year. George Mason. Where he just went nuts. Yeah, he did have a 20, it was George Mason. Like 24 yeah. points or something. Mm-hmm. Um... Or Christian Brown, who sometimes can score 20 and sometimes can score 11. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give a slight lean to Brown. I'm leaning Christian as well because we don't know the status of Mitch. So if he misses one game, that makes it a lot tougher. But if Remy, like Remy could put up 10 both games. Yeah. And then it's probably that side that I'd lean If, with. if Lightfoot plays. Yeah. Because if, like, if, if Mitch gives you a five each game, that's 10. Remy gives you 10 each game. That's 30. And then let's say Jalen Coleman-Lance hits two threes between the two games. That's 36. Yeah. That's that'd above 18, Christian's that'd average. That'd be 18 a game yeah. for Christian Brown. So, yeah. it. But I'm, I'm going to lean Christian. But that's, I will too. that's a good one. It's, it's I think it'll be right there, especially if all three of them play in in um, Remy, uh, Mitch, and, and Jalen Coleman-Lance. Kansas City Chiefs were active last night, late last night. They hadn't really got in on the party as the uh, – Party continues on the AFC West. Earlier today, Randy Gregory signs with the Broncos. Good defensive end. Chargers making all these signs. AFC West is going to be a bear. Um, Chiefs, uh, the first thing I want to talk about, they restructured Frank Clark's contract. And that was kind of a report yesterday. Originally, it seemed like he was going to be cut. He was not going to be part of the team anymore. Um, But they restructured the deal. Essentially, it works out now that uh, it's like a two-year, $29 million deal over the next two years. Some incentives can make it go higher. But basically, if they would have cut him, they would have been on the books for about a million and a half less than they're on the books now. So basically, it's costing them a million and a half more than it would have caught them to cut him, cost them to cut him to just keep him. So that's the value part of it. And yeah, the thought and the thought process being whatever he brings to the table, the twelve million that you're paying, whether you cut or keep him, is gone, no matter what. And the thought process there is whatever he brings to the table, can you find somebody who equals that for a million and a half dollars or less? In the Chiefs' opinion, uh, clearly they say no, and that's why they're bringing him back for what they're bringing him back for. I kind of think there's a non-quantifiable part of this, and that non-quantifiable part is you saying, hey, you've been terrible, welcome back. <laughs> and I don't like that. Now, look, I get the value side of it, and I don't want to – I'm I'm never going to be the type that says this or that guy is an idiot. Brett Veach has clearly been a very good as a general manager. Andy Reid, tremendous head coach. So whenever I disagree with a move they make, by no means will I, and, and I'll always I'll always say that they have a reason for doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They're not just throwing darts here. I might disagree with their reason and their logic, 
But at no point will you hear me say, God, this guy's just a fool. He doesn't know how to make a decision because they have reasons for doing what it is they do. But I think they're showing way too much loyalty to a player who doesn't otherwise deserve it. Um, and I think as, and, and I'll let you say this part because you've said this before, um, at what it means for Frank Clark's playing time. That's what scares me here. It, it It's twofold. If you were to tell me that, yes, okay, it's only going to cost them a million and a half or whatever, 1.2 million more than it would have cost to cut him to just keep him, then yes, you say, yeah, Frank Clark basically is worth the veteran minimum, if not more. He had He's still in a bad year, could get you four to six sacks, which it's going to cost you more than that on the open market. The problem I have is the opportunity cost there. It's not that, like, if you, if you went on the open market and signed a veteran minimum, or if you sign somebody who was expected to get you four to six sacks for whatever, five, six million dollars a year, the expectation of that player be that they're going to be a rotational player. They're not going to start the game. They're going to get minimum snaps. They'll come in on pass rushing situations. I am worried that, and, and we saw this a lot last year, Anthony Hitchens playing over your two young exciting linebackers, or Ben Neiman playing over those young linebackers, Daniel Sorensen playing over Juan Thornhill for a while. That the Chiefs sometimes lean toward, oh, well, he's familiar with the system. We're going to keep playing him. And so I hope it doesn't become that, that if the Chiefs do draft someone else or sign someone else, that it doesn't become, hey, we're just going to keep playing Frank Clark's starter uh, snaps. And on top of that, I hope that it does not become something where it's like, okay, we have our starting D end. We don't need to pursue, you know, this other good pass rusher in free agency. We don't need to draft a, a first round pick. That's the biggest thing. They better understand they need another pass yes. rusher. And so they, they better understand that. So if they can get this and if they go out and get Zadarius exactly. Smith or Melvin Ingram or whoever, then okay, I'm fine, right? But they better not think this is the exactly the, the, the this the, is a solution. Yes. This doesn't fix anything. And that's that's my issue with it. But again, if he does end up being a rotational at the end, then yes, the value is good at that point. I'm just not totally sure that's going to happen. Now, the other move that the Chiefs made last night, they signed Justin Reed. This sounds familiar, right? Signing a safety from the Houston Texans to a three-year contract. Worked out last time. It's a de facto uh, two-year, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Chiefs reportedly never made an offer, though, to the Honey Badger, which isn't necessarily a huge shock, although Brett Veach said that he was a huge priority, which obviously was a lie, yeah. although... Sometimes that lip service stuff happens anyway. I will say, just quick ode to Tyron Matthew because he's not going to be coming back for the Chiefs. Already seemed like it was leaning that way. Last night, what makes it a for sure thing? Maybe the best free agent signing in Chiefs history? I mean, I don't know who else would be in that conversation. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go through my head and, and think. I think the Chiefs traded for Trent Green. And Trent Green obviously never won you, never helped win you a Super Bowl. But he, he had Alex really, Smith was a he trade. He had a great, great career. A lot of your other great um, players drafted. Yeah, I'll have to go through the the the, the line, but yeah, it, it, off the top At of my head, off the top of my head, yeah, he was. I mean, just man, think back to the days when we were so damn excited mm -hmm. to get Eric Winston and Stevie Thomas Preston Jones off the off right? the off the off the heap of, of free agents. Like, think about that. I don't know if he, he was. Will. A, he was an outstanding acquisition. You you can't look. I, I'll say. At best, the Frank Clark contract and trade was was neutral. I actually think it was poor. But if you want to say, well, he contributed during the playoff run in which you won a Super Bowl, okay, fine, then I'll call it neutral. But as bad as the Frank Clark contract and trade was, the Tyron Matthew signing was better than that was yes. bad. Like no, that was, was a was tremendous great. acquisition. Yes, and it helped you win a Super Bowl. I don't I don't know if he will, 
But I don't think it would be that outlandish if Tyron Matthew ends up getting his name up in the Ring of Honor with the Chiefs, which is crazy for if a anybody deser- If anybody deserves it after three years, it's him. Yeah. Right. If if you're gonna if you're gonna pick a guy to do it yeah, after first three Super Bowl years in fifty years. Um, was, was Willie Rofe? I think he was a free agent, but it, that was kind of toward the back end of his career. He still had a hell of a lot of production with the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. But either way. Tyron Matthew clearly belongs in the conversation of best free agent acquisition ever. And I mean, it was, it worked out mm-hmm. perfectly. Yes, it, it did. It made your defense immediately better, and you wound up winning a Super Bowl and going to another with him. So they move on. Justin Reed got signed. I was a little surprised by how much it was. Three years, $31 million. A lot of people seem to like this guy. I was, I was looking at, you know, some other uh, people I trust, their opinions and everything, and, and they seem to like him. Although, uh, what just weirded me out is that. Like every everything that I saw was like I liked this guy was I liked him coming out of the draft or he's really athletic or you know I I, I like how young he is because he's only twenty five years old that scares me a little that I didn't see anybody who was like and, and may, maybe I'm wrong maybe I just missed something that I saw anybody who was just like no he's a really good player yeah. because I mean Pro Football Focus which grain of salt it's not always perfect but sometimes it gives you a good look into some stuff. He was like a 50 grade last year, which is not good. That's a replacement level player. Yeah. And so maybe it's just the Texans weren't very good and, and he got caught up into that. But if if your reason for, hey, let's give this guy a, a contract because he's athletic and young, we'll then just draft someone because they'll be cheaper. Yeah, I agree. You have to believe that whatever you saw go wrong with him on the Texans, that whatever led him to get whatever grade he got, because I think the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs use analytics, so I don't think they dismiss pro football focus. But whatever shortcomings he had for the Texans, you have to believe that you can minimize those shortcomings and maximize his abilities with your coaching staff. You have to believe that. Um, and if that turns out to be true, then great. You, I mean, if, if he turns out to be a, a really good safety, I think you got him cheaper than you would a lot of great safeties. Um, but I, I just I think you, you have you, – like I, I just, I, you have to sign him believing we can get more out of him. The Chiefs have to be thinking we can get more out of him than other teams have gotten out of him. They have to think that because this isn't like Mike Hughes, who you just swapped the was it a six round pick or did they give up a dude that they Something had like drafted that. in the sixth round? Yeah, it either wasn't way, anything. they they gave up some riffraff to get Mike Hughes as an experiment. But this isn't that. This is giving up real money, real real cap space, real real cap space. Um to a guy that better performed better on your team than he did. And if you can get him to perform at that level, great. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com joins us next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk, joined now by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. You'll be able to follow along with Matt's coverage through the LJ World of KU in the NCAA tournament. Uh, we had you on, on on Friday before um, KU in the Big 12 semifinals and then the Big 12 championship game. And one of the questions that I asked was, do you think Remy gets a double-digit scoring outburst or, or point game the rest of the way? And you said no. I, I agreed with you. Um, but then Remy Martin had uh, back-to-back double-digit scoring outputs against TCU and Texas Tech. So I'll, I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself here, Matt. Does Remy Martin have a double-digit scoring game in him this week? Wow, this week. So two games is what we're looking at. I mean, unless um, they were to, you know, do the unthinkable and lose on Thursday. Play one game. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, boy, I see. Um, you got me so 
out of whack that I don't even know what to do. I know you saw that I put that on Twitter that I was, you know, dead wrong on that one. Um, but, but I, I do appreciate that, that, you know, you agreed with me and there was some comfort in, in knowing that, that, you know, you had my back. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Um, delaying further, um, let's say, gosh, man. Yeah. I'm going to say yes. I really, I think so. Um, so what I'm guessing is I'm going to be wrong both ways, but I'm going to say yes. I just, <laughs> Uh, I think the tricky part now, you know, when I said that last Friday, it was it was about the, the number of shots. And I didn't foresee him taking 10 shots in a game or, or nine shots, whatever it was. Um, so I, I still I still kind of think that's a problem um, just because of the balance on this team. But but I also think, you know, it's very clear that, that Bill Self's not going to just move on from Dewan Harris. Dewan Harris is still going to have a huge role. If he didn't have two fouls against Texas Tech, um, you know, when he got them, it, it, it may not have led to such a big game for Remy. But now that he's seen it and now that Self has said, you know, I feel better about riding with him out there a little bit. Um, it, it just seems like as long as Remy continues to do what he's been doing over the last few games, there's going to be opportunity for him and there's going to be um, – you know, he has the skills to deliver. I mean, that, that's, that's the thing, right? He looks good. He looks so quick and he can get to the rim and, and, um, you know, you don't have to shoot it 15 times to get to double digits if you can get layups. So I, I do think, I do think he's in a good position to, to take a crack at it. Um, and we'll see if it happens, obviously, but I, I, I think what they got out of him in Kansas City was, so big, not only because of his confidence and what it brings to the team in terms of just another weapon, another dimension, all those things that you've heard the players and and coaches talk about, but also because this is a hard team to scout now. I mean, there, there are very few games on tape that show Remy being Remy and Bill Self has the opportunity here to you know, use that to his advantage and KU's advantage and kind of manipulate the situation and, and, and do some things with Remy that people have not seen. And, and if you can find an advantage like that heading into March, whether it's for one game, one half, one possession even sometimes, um, you know, that, that just gives you a better chance, that much better of a chance of, of advancing. And, and at this stage, no one cares what it looks like, who it is, you know what what the plan was originally i mean the only thing that matters now is is when in advance and and you know self has shown year after year after year that that he's in in agreement with that and he'll do whatever it takes and whatever he can to get his team to the next round so i i think remy's a big part of it and i think he can be a big part of it even without being a featured part of it i mean i don't think he you know takes away from ochai or jalen or Christian Brown or anything like that. I don't. I don't think that has to be the case at all. I think he just has to play his role, and when he's out there, compete, play hard, make open shots, get to the rim, and uh, and and then that's uh, that that that's going to benefit this team a great deal. What do you think is the biggest challenge to KU making the Final Four, and and what do you think is the biggest aspect that maybe gives them a good shot at New Orleans, whether it is personnel based, whether it's you know how their team plays, whether it's uh, how the bracket broke? Like, what do you view as being, I guess, the biggest reason why they wouldn't make the Final Four and why they would? I definitely think the bracket is is probably the biggest reason that they would. 
Um, and, you know, and that's not to say that it's easy by any means, but it seems easier. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you've probably talked about it a ton, but I, I think that they got a much, much better draw than maybe anybody could have envisioned. And so um, the, the, that's a that's a positive, you know, and, and if it doesn't go to chalk, then it opens up even more, and maybe that's even more of a positive. I don't think because of the makeup of this roster with so many veterans and, and, and you know, a handful of guys getting their last crack at this thing, I don't think that overlooking anybody or anything like that, the mental part of it, is going to be a problem. I mean, if, if you know, if they don't end up – if they end up playing, what, South Dakota State and uh, whoever's down there on the bottom as a 10, Miami – you know, in the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, I don't think that means KU will be like, oh, cool, we can let up. I, I think these guys are locked in. I think they have enough of a veteran presence and leadership and, and guys that are understanding very clearly that this is their last shot at it. And, um, you know, their legacy's on the line, and, and they want to they wanna go out with a bang. So I, I don't think if it goes chalk, I think they'll be locked in and ready to play the one, two, three, four. Um, if if uh, if it doesn't and it blows up like that, I don't think that means KU is in trouble because they'll overlook anybody. I just don't think that's part of the equation for this group. Um, so the bracket's super super favorable. I think um, the, the the idea of why they might not make it, I think it comes down to defense. Uh, you know, they played really good defense in Kansas City and, and are are to borrow a word from self on an uptick in that area. Um, and, and, you know, whether you played trash defense all year or terrific defense all year, as long as you're playing good defense this time of year, that's really all that matters. The question I have is, is how much can we trust that? How, how, how reliable is that? And, and how much can we count on that being what this team is? Because as you saw throughout the season, um, prior to this last few games, KU had a real knack for giving up layups and easy buckets in the paint and shots right at the rim. And, you know, I just don't think you can afford to do that. I mean, I, I, nobody can. And, and that probably sounds pretty obvious, but I just think that it's it, – you have to make it hard. It, this is the time of year where that whole Bill Self make the other team play bad vibe and mindset and approach comes into play. I just think that's it. And And I thought what was really telling was – I think it was on Selection Sunday to a, to a question I asked him, um, maybe about their confidence or, or how loose and free they were playing. But but he he basically said for the first time in a long time, I felt more in control when the other team had the ball on Saturday against Texas Tech. And two things about that: number one, that's what you want. That's the idea of make the other team play bad. But the other thing about it is, you know, Bill Self's not one to just say that. Um, so. For him to actually say that and actually mean that and feel that is is a real big, big statement about where this team is defensively. So can they keep it up? Do they do they sustain it? And and uh, and and are they able to do that for you know three weeks now? If they are, I, I think they've got a great shot. It may be as good a shot as anybody. Um, but if their defense has a lapse of any kind or reverts to the sort of ho-hum defense and the ball screen issues they had and things like that, then, you know, I think they're vulnerable against anybody any night, really. So it, it, it really, it, it, you know, defense wins, and, and that's what it's about in March. And uh, I think that's a big part for them. Uh, we were talking in the open about, 
you know, a couple things that could be boosters for KU basketball. And I, I kind of asked the question to Adam, and we kind of discussed it about, um, you know, some things that could help them. Um, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, the three things that we talked about, we said, you know, the extended minutes um, in between breaks for the NCAA tournament. That was the first one. The second one was maybe officials calling things more tightly than they have in the Big 12, where maybe it has been a little bit more rugged and less freedom of movement in the Big 12. And the third thing is just getting out of the Big 12 in general between it both being a really good conference and being a really good defensive conference that maybe weighs down uh, some of KU's offensive metrics in terms of maybe they're actually better than we think they are, and you just kind of run into the grind of all these defenses. W which of those three do you think could have the biggest positive impact on how KU does in the tournament? Um, man, that's tough. I, I, I... what was the first one? Uh, just the longer. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's breaks. important, but but you know everybody gets that advantage, so I wouldn't say that one um, as much. But I I don't think it hurts them by any means. Um. I think it's probably getting out of the Big 12. I think that, and I guess maybe that's a different way of saying, you know, having been battle-tested in the Big 12, right? Like, there's a lot of people looking at San Diego State and, and that as a potential scary game, and, and there's no doubt that it is. They play good defense, they're athletic. Um, but, man, I, you know, as much as I think the Mountain West Conference was terrific this year, and what they get four teams in, right? Yeah, uh, you know that's not the Big Twelve. It, I mean, it, it's not seeing Texas Tech twice, Baylor twice, TCU even, Texas twice. I mean, like it, it, it's just a different thing. And and I think these guys, the fact that they made it through as champions, both of the of the regular season and validated that with the Big Twelve title in the tournament, I, I think you know there's confidence that comes from that. These guys know like we've beaten. So many good teams. I mean, they basically played what? They're fourteen and four, and then three more. So twenty-one, basically seventeen and four against Big Twelve competition this year. And if you think about the four losses, uh, you know the Baylor one's a game till three minutes left. The Texas one, they should have won, if not for a banked in three. They were up four with a minute left. Texas Tech beat them on their home floor. There was that, that wasn't. Nothing was happening there. And then TCU, same thing. They they won pretty easily. So really only two of those twenty one games are 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 bad results. You know, the other two could have easily gone KU's way. And you could say that about some of the games they won too and, and, and flip it the other way. But I just think that night in and night out, having to rise to that challenge and knowing that, man, we've got to be sharp tonight. Not just to win this game and not just to survive tonight, but because our goals are hanging in the balance every single time we play. And, and as it turned out, if they didn't bring it one more time, they would have lost the conference. You know, if they were 13-5, and five, they wouldn't have won the conference. And that would have sent them into who knows what kind of trajectory heading into to postseason, whether it was last week or, or this week. So I, I just think having been through that is, is – something that not very many teams in the bracket can say. Um, not only the, the competition and the talent night in and night out, but the, but the burden that comes with that when you're Kansas. And, and like I said, that, those goals hanging in the balance every night, it's not just a win or a loss. Like Texas, on the flip side of that, played 19 games and, and in the Big 12 and was 10-9. and nine. That's not very good. Yet here I am 
earlier today reading Chris Beard saying there's a whole lot of internal optimism at Texas that this team can make a run and a deep run and good for them. They should believe that, you know, but it's just, it's just a different thing. Like the, the, the 10 and nine vibe at Texas is way different than, than a, than a, you know, vibe at Kansas where every game could mean the difference between achieving your goal and not achieving your goal. Of course, Texas wanted to win the big 12, but that doesn't, I just don't, maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't think it means the same. The weight isn't as much and, and, uh, and the pressure is not as much. So I, I think getting away from that, will allow these guys to be loose. You saw that to a degree, even though they were playing Big 12 teams um, in Kansas City last weekend. They, they, those games didn't mean what those first 18 games did. you know. So they played loose. They played free. They had fun. They kicked butt. I mean, all of those things. So um, I, I think that carries over. I think that that puts them in a great position. And, and, uh, and I think that's definitely bigger than, than the officiating because I don't, I don't know as much as I agree with you guys that, that – that the officiating and, and, you know, maybe the game being called a little different than it is in Big 12 play could help them. Uh, I, it's not a guarantee. You know, the crews are different crews, and they come from different places, and you never know who's going to call a game what way. And, and any given night, it could just be a weird night for that crew or whatever. So I, I don't know that you can count on that as much as you can count on the fact that, the you know, two months, three months worth of prep has them prepared to see anybody. I mean, you know, there's obviously matchup issues around the country that, that aren't great for Kansas, but as far as lining up and thinking they can play with anybody, there's not a team out there that they won't think they can play with. And, and that's because of their, their rugged journey through the Big 12. Well, that's fun. We all got different answers then to the question. So we oh, all cool. took three different choices. So perfect. Um, all right, Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World. Matt, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Matt, one last thing. What color was the last horse you rode? <laughs> I've never ridden a horse unless you count one at the like grocery store where you put the quarter in and <laughs> do the uh hope you mean as a child. 30 seconds, you know, so... <laughs> Um, but I, I, I'll go with that one, and I, I remembered it fondly. Every time we went to the grocery store, I, give me that quarter, Mom. I want to ride that thing. Let's go. So I'll go with that one, and it was yellow. It was chip paint yellow, mm. the official the official color. I don't think it had a name, but uh, maybe we call it chip. I don't know. But, but yeah, never ridden in any capacity a, a real live horse. And my guess is that streak will probably continue well into my future. Not against it, just opportunities not always there for me, and I don't know that I'd be very good up there. I think it could be a disaster. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all of his work. He will not be riding a horse down to Fort Worth, although who knows? Maybe you're in Fort Worth. I mean, Yeah, never. I'm here now. I could probably go find one pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, you probably could. But you can catch all his work watching uh, KU in the NCAA tournament, KUSports.com, and in the LJ world. Matt, thank you for the time as always, man. You bet. Thank you, guys, and enjoy the heck out of it, man. It's the best time of year. I know you guys know that, but I hope everybody's ready for some fun. No matter what happens, it's going to be great. This tournament is back. Like, last year was cool in Indy. The year before that, it was off all together. This year, it is the tournament that we know and love. Teams all over the country, different sites, fans, the whole bit. So, um can't wait, and I hope everybody's super excited, and, and I hope there's a lot of good weather and beer-drinking weather and all that stuff for everybody to enjoy it. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys soon, but thanks for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. We're going to narrow the tournament field coming up next.
Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. All right, I am excited for this. I gave a little teaser over the weekend, if you follow me on Twitter, um, about narrowing the national championship field, and we'll get to that in a second. If you don't follow me or if you just want to kind of go through the parameters, uh, but I also am going to narrow the field with with some parameters of what past teams have done to try to help you pick your final four. Um, now, I should probably start by saying before I get into all these parameters, before I get on uh, into all these numbers, this is obviously not an exact science because that's the beauty of March. I mean, you hear it all the time. It's a cliche, but it's true. March is crazy. Weird things happen. So what I'm about to do here is go through what is been shown historically to be most likely but again that doesn't guarantee it'll happen because they're the vcus and the george masons of the world and everything like that the idea here isn't that this is guaranteed to be a perfect that you're going to get four out of four on your final four teams or that you're going to for sure pick the right national champion but it'll it'll close down your number of options that you're not picking from as many teams and again like you know if you're in a March Madness pool, you don't need to go four for four on the final four, most likely, to win your March Madness pool. You go two for four and you pick the right champion. You go three for four, pick the right champion. Yeah, three for four is huge. You're going to be in the run. If, if you go three for four, that would base that would be with the amount the way these pools work, you get more points for picking correct the later in the tournament. So if you go three for four, that means you're maximi- you're you're close to maximizing the points you can get for elite eight wins. You're guaranteed to get at least one of the championship teams right, and then if you get the champion right, that's huge. I should also say as part of this, again, like these are playing the numbers. It's not a one hundred percent chance, but um, in the same way that you know, do you want to be the guy who bets against Alabama to make the college football playoff every year, or do you want to be the guy who keeps betting on the streak? I will bet on the streak. And yes, the streak's eventually going to end, and there are exceptions to the rule all the time. And, you know, if you bet against it, you might be right, but you're not going to be right a majority of the time. You're only going to be right every now and then. So, with all that said, um, all of these parameters I will be going through feature numbers since 2002. You might be asking, why? Well, I could tell you that that's 20 years ago, so that gives us two decades of samples. Uh, It's also the Ken Palm era, which... Basically, Ken Palm has numbers dated back to 2002, and we're going to be using a lot of those numbers. So we have two decades of data outside of, obviously, the 2020 NCAA tournament that never happened, which means if you think about it, we have 20 years of data minus one tournament. That means 19 NCAA tournaments. That means we have 19 national champions. That means we have 76 final four teams that we can study and look through. Okay, Um, let's get through this. Every single Final Four team since 2002 has been an 11 seed or better. So again, we've seen 12 seeds get close. One day, I'm sure a 12 seed will make it. But do you want to be the guy who, like, if you go three of four on your Final Four picks and the one you miss is the 12 seed, big whoop, right? So every single Final Four team has been an 11 seed or better. That automatically narrows us down to 44 teams left. So just to go through this, I'm going to go through this region by region as I'm eliminating teams 
from the West that eliminates New Mexico State, Vermont, Montana State, Cal State Fullerton, Georgia State, South, UAB, Chattanooga, Longwood, Delaware, the play-in winner, Midwest, Richmond, South Dakota State, Colgate, Jacksonville State, play-in winner, East, play-in winner, Akron, Yale, St. Peter's, Norfolk State. Don't pick any of those teams to go to the Final Four. That was the easy one. Here's the next one. 71 of the previous 76 Final Four teams, which to give you a percentage, 71 of 76 is 93.5%. So 71 of the previous 76 Final Four teams were top 31 in adjusted EM on Ken Palm. Basically, your overall ranking. They were top 31 on Ken Palm entering into the tournament. I don't want to look at numbers where you were at the end of the tournament because clearly if you went on a run, that's going to boost your numbers. I want to look where you were entering the tournament. So I'm going real quick. George Mason, VCU, those are the easy ones. Probably South Carolina. One of those, I'm going to you. The, the, team, the five teams that made it without oh. the five exceptions. Do you have those written out? I if have you don't, so I can fine. pull it up. I, well, anyway, no, keep going. It's fine. I figure VCU, George Mason, one of those 10 seeded Syracuse teams. Um, Frank or, uh, Frank Martin had a um, like a seven that made it. Um, let's see. UCLA last year, weird year, Loyola Chicago in 2018. Uh, South Carolina was actually 31st, so wow. they cleared the billing. Syracuse in 2016. And Butler in 2011, 2011 VCU, those are the exceptions to the rule. George okay. Mason was actually 25th. So Entering the tournament? Yep, they would have. So they would have qualified for this. You might have been able to find George Mason. Um, also, some other teams, like Wichita State in uh, whatever that was, 2013, they would have qualified. So um, even some potential weird teams have qualified for this. So if we, we go to that parameter, that's going to eliminate a good amount. Out of the West, that eliminates Michigan State. So forget February, March, or February, January, February, Izzo. Uh, that eliminates Davidson. That eliminates Rutgers, and that eliminates Notre Dame. In the South, that eliminates Ohio State, Seton Hall, TCU, and Michigan. In the Midwest, here's a big one. That eliminates Wisconsin. Mm. It also eliminates Providence. So that eliminates KU's three and four seed in what's, the region. Uh, what's Wisconsin currently? They're 34th, just outside of it. Really? Uh, USC eliminated Creighton, Miami, Florida, and Iowa State. All eliminated out of the Midwest. And in the East, that eliminates Marquette. That's it. East is tough. That's but. a stacked Ken Palm region, baby. <laughs> yeah, it is. Okay, so now we're we're whittling it down. 72 of the previous 76 teams, which again, to give you a percentage here, that's about 95%. So about 95% of Final Four teams had top 60 offenses on Ken Palm adjusted offense efficiency entering the tournament. Um, if you want the exceptions on this one, I, I'm not even going to try. Let's see. We got 2018 Loyola Chicago was 68th. 2017 South Carolina was 149th. That is, I believe, the worst. Oh. 2016 Syracuse was 65th. 2012 Louisville was 127th. And they were a four seed. And then George Mason was 75th. Okay. But again, you still have like teams like VCU would have still qualified for this. Um, although they would have been disbanded on the previous one. Top 60 offenses, that's going to eliminate a couple, yeah, one big name and, and a couple other semi-big ones from the West. That eliminates Texas Tech. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It eliminates Boise State. 
which I don't know how many people have Boise State going to the Final Four because he'd have to go through Gonzaga just to get through even the second round. Doesn't eliminate anyone in the South, so some good offenses in the South, at least who hadn't already been eliminated. Um, in the Midwest, it eliminates LSU and San Diego State. And in the East, it eliminates St. Mary's. Okay. St. Mary's might be a trendy Final Four pick. This says, no, don't do it. So, now we're down to the defensive side of things. Once again, 71 of the previous 76 Final Four teams, so about, again, 93.5% of Final Four teams since 2002, had top 50 defenses, according to Ken Palm Adjusted Defense Efficiency, entering the tournament. That's going to eliminate Alabama from the West. Top, gonna, say that again, top what Top defense? 50. Okay. So top 60 on offense, top 50 on defense. Which is funny because the offense, as we talked about months ago, there's a higher correlation of national championship teams to the offense mm -hmm. than the defense, but for making the final four, it's the defense over the offense. Slightly. Right, slightly. Um, some teams, by the way, who... I would still be willing to bet the average final four team over the course of this time had a better... Had a good offense, you know what I mean? Yeah, probably. I, I didn't add that up, but I, yeah. I'd probably agree with that. UCLA last year was 195th. I just take that as COVID year, weird stuff that happened last year. Uh, other teams, Did they have any forfeits? I don't think they did, but I don't know if they had any like COVID pauses that led to I, weird I'm talking results. about in the tournament. UCLA, no. Okay. No. The other teams outside of the uh, top 50, 2013 Michigan was 66. Should have lost in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Um, 2011 Butler was 69th. 2011 VCU was 126th. I don't know what happened there. I just got really lucky, I guess. Made a ton of shots. Yep. Uh, 20, 2003 Marquette, weirdly enough, was 80th. They're kind of a similar profile to Iowa. They're second on offense, 80th on defense. Iowa's second and 77th, and they have a star player, and Dwayne yeah, Wade. Say, and a, Murray. A, a lottery pick. So that doesn't make me feel great. But nonetheless, um, 71 of the previous 76 had top 50 defenses, so it eliminates Alabama, eliminates Colorado State, which I would like that Colorado State team. Uh, it eliminates Iowa from the Midwest. And here's where a couple of the big teams from the East go. Purdue, gone. North oh, Carolina, yeah. Virginia Tech, you know gone. what? You know what who Purdue's Ken Palm profile Matt, looks really similar to is, is 2012 Missouri. Mm -hmm. Now, I, think, I had that 2012 Missouri team getting bounced in the Sweet 16. Um, I don't think, look, I'm not going to pick Purdue to, to get bounced in the first round the way that Missouri team did, and I'm not going to pretend like I had Norfolk State beating Missouri in 12. But I just, I, Purdue has a very similar profile to that 2012 Missouri team in terms of a really, really great offense and a horrific defense. Yeah, Purdue's third on offense, 100th on defense. Missouri was first on offense, 111th on defense. Though that was for Missouri the end of the year. I'm sure it was. But they only played one more game. Yeah. So it's probably it pretty had to have that. been close to what going into the tournament. They only played one tournament game. All right, next parameter. 70 of the previous 76 Final Four teams had coaches who previously made at least a Sweet 16 or better or were in their first NCAA tournament. So if you're in your first NCAA tournament, you get a pass on this, right? If you're not, if you're in your second or beyond NCAA tournament, you need to have made a Sweet 16 or better. That's weird. It is kind of a weird one, isn't it? Um... I'm trying to find the exceptions here. Like, okay, uh, Porter Mosier at Loyola Chicago. He What's was a first-year coach. What's the number on it? The how many? Oh, of seventy out of seventy-six, okay. which is ninety-two percent. Um, let's see shock some of the exceptions. Be, I think shock. I think that was his first one. tournament, though. Oh, uh, was it? I think so. Um, 
Greg Marshall, 2013 Wichita State. They made the second round. That was his previous best had finish. Had Chris Beard made a Sweet 16 before? He had made uh, an Elite Eight. Cause That's they went, right. They lost yeah. To, yeah, to Villanova. Uh, 2010 Butler with Brad Stevens. Their best, his best finish before they lost to Duke in the title game was a round of 32 appearance. Um, George Mason with uh, Jim Laranega. His best appearance was the first round. So pretty much it's, if you're a, this is the, really the one big exception. Outside of that, it's pretty much if you're a Cinderella team, like it's okay. But 2004 Georgia Tech, like that's the one really weird one. Then 2003 Marquette, who mm-hmm. just continues defying the odds here. That's Tom Crean. Yeah. Nonetheless, that eliminates Connecticut from the West. Dan Hurley has never been to a Sweet 16. Um, did go to the second round once or twice with Rhode Island. Brad Underwood for Illinois. Uh, he has never been to a second weekend. Weirdly enough. And is Fran McCaffrey? I know we've already eliminated Iowa based on these parameters. He has not. He would be eliminated here if he wasn't already eliminated. Yeah. Um, out of the East, it eliminates Murray State. Their coach has been to, I think this is his third NCAA tournament appearance, but how many people are really getting them to go to the Final Four when you have Kentucky in the second round? Okay, so now we just have one more parameter. 18 of the 19 previous year national champions did not make the Final Four. The only exception to this was Florida in 2007, but guess what? They brought back their entire starting five. Wait, repeat that? 18 of the 19 previous year national championships champions did not make the Final Four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Florida brought back. They were kind of... They Nobody else brings they back their a, entire yeah, five. They weren't a Cinderella because they were a three seed, but um, but they brought back everybody from a three seed that made the final, that won the national title. Yeah. Nobody brings back their entire starting five. So that is ultimately an exception. And how about this? Here's a little nugget for you, by the way, too. Whatever you're doing with Baylor in your tournament, that Florida team, not only are they the only team to make the Final Four who won a national championship the year before since 2002, no national champion since 2002 even made it past the Sweet 16 besides that Florida team. And the last four, if you include... Virginia from the 2019 winners into their next tournament appearance in 2021, none of the last four have even made it past the first weekend. Wow. So, you know, North Carolina, Marquette, maybe UCLA, St. Mary's, something like that. Maybe pick them to upset Baylor in the second round or Sweet 16, right? Okay, so that leaves these teams. Again, I'm not doing all the work for you. You still got to pick from here. But I have narrowed it down for you to make your choices easier. Out of the West, here are your teams that can make a Final Four. Gonzaga, mm-hmm. Duke, yep. Arkansas, and Memphis. Now keep in mind, Eric Musselman, very upset that Vermont's going to get that home yes. court advantage because yes. they're playing in Buffalo. So pick one of your favorite four. I'm going with Gonzaga out of that region, right? Out of the South. I don't need. I don't care who you say. I'm picking Kentucky out of the South. Yeah, no, South is... Um, or no, no, yeah, that's Arizona. That's yeah. right. Yep, that bracket. Sorry. So South actually has the most teams the, that are alive. Kentucky's in the East. Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee. All of your top three seeds fit the billing here. So that, that makes it tough to pick this one. Houston as a five seed is alive. I don't love the Houston team. What's the furthest Rick Barnes has made it with Tennessee? Uh, Sweet 16, I want to say. Okay. And then here's here's the sh- surprise one. We've heard this, this team's name a few times before. Loyola Chicago. Interesting. Yes, Loyola Chicago fits the billing 
of all of this stuff. So who knows? Maybe another run for Sister Jean in order. So that's the one with the most. The Midwest is the one with the least. Is it two? Three? It's two. Kansas and Auburn. And Auburn. Wow. That's it. That's it. So pick one of those two. So you're either getting that makes you feel good, doesn't either, it? Yes, it does. Or you're getting an exception to the rule. Yes. Yeah. Which again, this this is prone to. Um, and then the East, Kentucky, UCLA, Texas, and San Francisco. San Francisco is kind of salty. The the West Coast Conference coming. But I'm out not with, picking San Francisco to get by Kentucky. I'm I agree. Not. I mean, I, but I I think they honestly that's the, that's the seven ten right. Yeah, see, I think either of those teams can give Kentucky a scare. I think I'm picking Kentucky to come out of that region, but I think San Francisco or Murray State can give Kentucky a scare. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. In the same way that you know Illinois, a lot of people they were picking them to go to the Final Four, win a national title last year. They lose in the second round to Loyola Chicago, where everybody's like, "No, I know Loyola could be a good team, but I just like this Illinois team so much more." I could see that happening with Kentucky. I yeah. have Kentucky winning the title. I'll be clear about that now, but. This tournament, no, it would not be, it would not be like the biggest upset ever if Murray State or San Francisco beat them in the second round. So, not at all. Nonetheless, that narrows it down to the final four. So pick among those if you want. If you want, you can pick, you know, your own off of that. I'm just telling you, I I would I, I feel good that at least three of the four final four teams will come out of that group, and maybe there will be one exception. All right, let's uh, narrow the national title field next. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports is going to join us next, talking some more college basketball, NCAA tournament, and so forth here on RCST. So we just narrowed the final four field again to re-go over all those teams. Um, Gonzaga, Duke, Arkansas, Memphis out of the West, Arizona, Villanova, Tennessee, Houston, Loyola out of the South, Kansas and Auburn out of the Midwest, Kentucky, UCLA, Texas, San Francisco out of the East. Wait, is this Penny's first tournament? Yep. I thought he made one with Memphis before. All right. Yeah, as a player he did. I understand that, but. No, he, uh, been kind of a disappointment. Um, until this year. Good for him. Oh, it was the media's fault when he was. (laughs) Earlier this year is the media media's yeah. fault. Complaining about the roster construction. It's like, dude, you you recruited these players. Why don't you recruit a point guard? <laughs> and then they kicked Imani Bates off, or Imani Bates left the team, whichever way he had it, and they've been good ever since then. Okay, uh, let's narrow the national title field. So, uh, same com- kind of parameter thing. 18 of the 19 national championship teams have been a three-seed or better. So one, two, or three seed. And as I'm going through these parameters, this is kind of funny. As I'm going through these parameters, you'll notice a lot, the like one exception to the rule for the national championship teams is that freaking 2014 Connecticut team. But again, this goes back to the conversation of, do you want to have to bet on the outlier or do you just want, if the outlier happens, like I'll miss out the ride on that train? Because I I don't want to bet on the outlier because it's, it's so hard to try to find the outlier, especially if, if if it's even if if it's fifty fifty money, like if if you know if the odds right. are one to one, right? You never bet in the outlier. No, so I'm not going to bet on seven seed UConn happening again, even though it it probably will in the next thirty years. Like another six or seven seed will probably win it at some point in the next thirty. years. I mean, how right? long did it take though? It took eighty eight to twenty fourteen. No, yeah, in eighty five. I mean, funnily funnily enough, it happened in like the three of the or two of the first four tournaments cuz uh, the first year it expanded to 64 Nova was an 8 and they won and then Kansas is a 6 
Kansas also had the National Player of the Year, and the reason they were six is because they were beat up, you know, with injuries. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, 18 of the 19 National Championship teams, three-seed or better. So, automatically, we have uh, this goes 12 from teams. 2002, on. right? Yes, 2002 and on. So, uh, we have 12 teams. All 19 national champions since 2002, top 25 in adjusted EM, top 25 basically in Ken Palm rank, entering the tournament. This is only going to eliminate one team who's a 1, 2, or 3 seed. It's Wisconsin. Okay. So we're down to 11 teams. 18 of the 19 national champions have had adjusted offensive rankings on Ken Palm at 21st or better entering the NCAA tournament. You can guess, the one exception, 2014 UConn. UConn. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, okay. Um, the 20. other teams that brushed up against it, 2011 UConn was 21st. Otherwise, it'd be higher. Uh, 2003 Syracuse was 18th. And then 2013 Louisville was 17th. A lot of these offenses were like top five, top 10, though. Nonetheless, top 21, that's going to eliminate three teams. Texas Tech, Tennessee, and Auburn. Didn't Tech already get eliminated in the Final Four discussion, though? Yes, they did, but this is a... Yeah, I know. I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're down to eight teams. 18 of the 19 national championship teams have had adjusted defensive rankings on Ken Palm at 37th or better. Now, the exception to this rule is not 2014 UConn. If I wanted to go all-time... Is, is, so they... Hold on. So 18 of the 19... So UConn had... That that UConn team had a... Good defense. So the... the or the all right, what was give me, just don't give me the year. What was the offensive rank of the or the defensive rank of the exception? Uh, Forty four in, in the year that they won it was one of the Carolina schools. One no, of the Carolina titles. It was not. They are actually uh, Carolina was thirty seventh in two thousand nine. Duke was thirty seventh in twenty fifteen. The answer to this is last year's Baylor. They were forty fourth entering the NCAA tournament. Oh, that's tournament. right. But they'd also they kind of fell off the map after their COVID pause. They were great before their COVID pause. Exactly. And so um, if we wanted to go up to 44th, then Duke would still be alive. I'm not going to take 44th. I'm going to take 37th because I because of last year, there were less games played. You had the COVID pause. Baylor was a top 37. They were probably a top 10 defense in the country. COVID pause messed up all the numbers there. So I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to use that as the outlier. And because of that, Duke eliminated Purdue, also eliminated. So now we're down to six teams who can win a title. Every team since 1985 has at least made their conference tournament semifinals. I could use this stat. I could also use the same one that I just used at the end of last where the only team who's repeated as as champions was Florida. Either way, Baylor's out. Baylor's out, yep. We're down to five. 18 of the previous 19 national championship teams had coaches who previously made at least an Elite Eight. I'm um, trying to think of who. And there's only one coach who may, in his first NCAA tournament appearance, won the title, you can guess it, 2014 UConn. Every other one well, made the Elite Eight. technically, 89. Or are you just since going by Ken Pum? Since okay. 2002. You're to say your last one was since 85. So I just since 2002. To um, cool. I mean, good for, so who, who's that eliminate? That eliminates one team, but it's a big one. Arizona, Tommy Lloyd. Oh yeah. First year as yeah, a head coach. First year. So he, he could very well turn out to be an exception mm-hmm. though. He could, he could, but it's interesting that literally the only team that 
did win it in a coach's first appearance or with the coach not making an Elite Eight prior was a coach of an outlier team. Because mm-hmm. there have been other great teams where maybe it's a coach in the first year, but they didn't win it. So again, weird things happen. But that leaves four teams to win a title. Gonzaga, Kentucky, Villanova, and Kansas. Has to make you feel pretty good. So you got your one of two teams that follow in your bracket that follow the final or mm-hmm. the final four rule. Yes. And you are one of four teams left in the tournament to win a national yeah. title. So you could view this and say, because it actually does work out that you could say, well, I'll just make that my final four. Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova. This isn't to say those will be the final four. This is to say one of those four I think will win the Based title. Based on those parameters, she'll yes. win the title. So I'll be interested to track this to see if it works. I am picking one of those to win the title. So we'll see. I think if you went to Vegas, you couldn't because Gonzaga, Gonzaga betting-wise, is, I think, plus 350. But if you wanted to bet on Kansas, Kentucky, and Villanova, essentially versus the field, I think Kansas was going like 7-1, to one, Kentucky 6-1, to one, Villanova was like 15-1. to one. You could bet on all three of them. Hypothetically, let's say you put $100 on all three of them to win the title. Worst-case scenario, that means if either of those three win it, you're doubling your money. Best-case scenario, if Villanova wins it, in terms of just best-case scenario for your money, it'd be 5-1 to one odds. Yeah. That's not a bad bet, but it sucks because you wouldn't have Gonzaga, and they <laughs> That's very a much, tough one, yeah. yeah. But a number one overall um, seed hasn't won in a while. Maybe that means they're due. I think it's twenty. I think it was thirteen. It was the last time. So uh, that's how I'm doing my bracket: Gonzaga, Kansas, Kentucky, or Villanova to win the title, and the previous parameters to figure out who you're going to pick in the Final Four. All right, we're going to talk with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. More on the bracket and the NCAA tournament with Kevin on the other side. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. We continue the NCAA tournament talk here on Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. So, KU gets the one seed in the Midwest. Kevin, what do you make of KU's path in attempt to getting to New Orleans and getting to the Final Four? You know, it, it's funny. I, the NCAA tournament graveyard is filled with teams that said the tournament fell to us, and then they failed to capitalize on <laughs> it. But at the same time, I, I think if you're a Kansas fan, you, you couldn't be any more thrilled with this draw. I think – you know, the, the one exception is maybe, you know, the fact that uh, the fact that you might get Iowa in a, in a Sweet 16 matchup with Iowa being, you know, one of the nation's top two or three teams since February 1st, according to Bart Torvik. But at the same time, you know, I'm not sure Iowa's the type of team that necessarily gives Kansas a, a ton of trouble in, in terms of being a not so great defensive team being a really good offensive team. I, I think Kansas kind of matches up well in those situations. There's not the super tall, long athletic team that I, I think a lot of us felt like, man, Kansas does not want to see that game. Kansas doesn't have Memphis, you know, in its eight, nine game. You don't have Kentucky looking up from the two spot, 
you know, and possibly getting that team to an elite eight. And while Auburn, you know, fits some of that dimensions, some of those dimensions, the Tigers were probably the the number two seed Kansas fans most wanted to see because the backcourt, you know, has been highly inconsistent for, for Auburn and Auburn isn't playing its best basketball right now. And so, when you look at that, when you look at the four seed being Providence team that's that's pretty vulnerable, the the three seed Wisconsin not being a, a team that I think you know jumps out as a team that's that's going to terrify Kansas when maybe it could have been somebody like a Tennessee that would have been a little bit scarier, and so I think when you look across that uh, that Midwest bracket, Kansas came out uh, came out pretty well, and now they just have to uh, have to go and take advantage of that. As you look at those matchups that you just mentioned, though, like which one do you think would be most worrisome? And and obviously, you know, like Auburn is the best team there, but also in qualification to what round you would have to play them. Like which of the would it be San Diego State in the second round, Iowa in the third round with trying to defend Keegan Murray? Would it be Auburn in the Elite Eight? Like what matchup in the Midwest do you think would give Kansas the biggest handful uh by, you know, capita of what round they're in? You know, I, I would probably still go with Auburn and I know you don't you don't worry about that until the Elite Eight. And if we're being honest, Derek, you don't you don't play bad teams in the Elite Eight because bad teams don't get to the Elite Eight. And at some point, you have to play somebody. And so when you when you look at uh, when you look at that game, I, I think Auburn's backcourt when it has played well, that has been a, a really really good team. And they have a, a high lottery pick and a guy who's in contention to go number one at, in Jabari Smith. Kansas gets a lot of its points at the rim. You know, Auburn has Walker Kessler, one of the nation's best shot blockers, protecting the rim. And so I do think Auburn is probably the scariest of those teams. I think all the rest of them, you can find flaws or, or reasons why Kansas can, can win that game. And not that Auburn doesn't have them, but Auburn also, I think, has the best fastball, if you will, out of that group. I think Iowa, like I said, the defense doesn't really worry you and so if if Kansas can get a few more stops Kansas's offense is is pretty good I, I like the Jayhawks chances in that matchup San Diego State is potentially a, a scary second round matchup because of the physicality because of the way that the San Diego State defends but at the same time San Diego State isn't as good offensively as a team like Texas Tech is that that brings you know a, a similar defense in terms of being you know physical and the things they do on that end and so uh, there are matchups in every round probably after the first round where you look at it and you can find reasons to say well if it's not Kansas's night this you know this isn't going to be a fun game but at the same time I don't know that there are a lot of teams in that region that, that Kansas should out and out fear we're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 sports here um, so I have I have three player prototypes that I'm going to ask you to come up with a uh, a good candidate for in the NCAA tournament. It could be for Kansas. It could be the NCAA tournament. However you want to take this. Um, so a March Malik candidate, which would obviously be uh, a player who you know maybe wasn't living up to the billing of maybe the hype or maybe was just having a fine season, but then has the ability to go into overdrive in the NCAA tournament. That's the first one. 
The second one is, and this comes from Sam Vecini of The Athletic. I've heard him term it the Malachi effect candidate, which is in reference to Malachi Richardson, a uh, former wing guard at Syracuse who, you know, wasn't really seen as, as a draft pick or maybe a second-round guy, and he had a big tournament leading Syracuse to the Final Four. He becomes a first-round pick, so that one more kind of draft-related. And the last one, this comes from Mark Titus from the Titus and Tate podcast. They call it the Kemba candidate, and that is in reference, obviously, to Kemba Walker, a guy who can just take over and lead his team to a title. So I I know I'm I'm giving you a hard task here, but uh, do, do any players come to mind with those different kind of player prototypes? Oh gosh, I, I think that the the first one, the the Marsh Malik candidate, you know, maybe you would go with somebody like Caleb Love at, at North Carolina, you know, a former five star guard, has had moments where he's looked capable of being a dominant guy and Malik had those kind of scattered throughout that year, but he wasn't consistently that guy. And I, I think you know, when you look at, at Carolina, I think they get Baylor in the second round. Is that right? You know, that's that's yeah. a game that's really interesting if Baylor's not healthy. And if Caleb Love is is on his game and, and is, you know, in dropping 23 or 25 points mode, they, they could get by in that game. They could win that game, and it could be the sort of thing where you look at it and say, okay, Caleb Love, he – he, he found the trigger, and he's somebody that that could really push them deep into the tournament. I think if you look at, at somebody who um, maybe doesn't have the the NBA stock, but is capable of, of really boosting it. Gosh, I, I think that one's a little bit tougher. I may I may go back to that one real quick. Keegan Murray to me is the is the one at, at Iowa that. It seems like the Kemba pick because I feel like it, you know, as much as Ochai Abaji could be somebody like that, I think that, you know, that, that Connecticut team finished ninth in the Big East that year. And when you, when you look at, at a Kemba candidate, I don't just think of, hey, this guy went nuts and, and took a really good team to the national title. I look at somebody who, you know, elevates his team beyond maybe what they had been for a lot of the season. And when you look at Murray averaged almost, I think, 26 points a game in the Big Ten tournament, you know, that's a similarity with with Kemba in terms of how he took over that Big East tournament and gave UConn a lot of momentum. And so I think Keegan Murray is maybe the, the Kemba candidate. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe somebody like Kive Aluma for Virginia Tech in terms of the – the Richmond one, uh, Illumin's a really tough matchup. You saw him play really well in the ACC tournament. Virginia Tech has won 13 of its last 15. And so I know there were, there were some people who were kind of wondering what spot Virginia Tech would, would go to after winning the ACC tournament. But that's a team that had actually been hot for a little while, even before the tournament. And so with Texas in the first-round matchup, I think we can all admit that it really depends a lot on what Texas team shows up, and sometimes the Texas team that shows up is is different in the first half than it is in the second half, like against TCU. And so Virginia Tech is a team that has a chance. There's some runway there potentially to be a Sweet 16-type team, and if they do that, if Aluma is the matchup problem that 
that he has been, you know, maybe he is somebody that, that gets more NBA eyeballs on him and winds up being somebody that's, that's going to really improve his draft stock. All right, I want to dig into the bracket a little bit with you. Do you have a favorite double-digit seed um, in the tournament for a possible Cinderella run or, or a Sweet 16 run or further? So I'm really mad about this, Derek. <laughs> uh, I, I am hopping furious because I love Arkansas. I, I really like mm. Arkansas. I think what they did over the course of the end of the year, they looked like a really tough athletic team. You know, J.D. Note is is kind of their straw that serves the drink and does so many things for them offensively, and they've got a lot of really good players around him. I was furious that Arkansas drew Vermont because Vermont was one of the ones that, that really jumped out at me as, okay, this is this is a team that, that nobody wants to see. And, you know, when you look at, at the profile, right, they're third in the country in effective field goal percentage. They don't turn the ball over. They're the nation's best defensive rebounding team, and they don't send people to the free throw line. So they make shots. They don't turn it over. And on defense, they don't give away easy points at the free throw line or via offensive rebound. I mean, that's a pretty good formula. And yet at the same time, you know, they're matched up with, with a pretty hot Arkansas team. I don't know they didn't play well in the SEC tournament necessarily, but – Vermont is a team I feel like if they can get by Arkansas, whatever matchup they have next is actually going to be easier. And, and so the Catamounts are, are a team that, that kind of stand out. And I think the other one is actually in Kansas's bracket when you are, I guess, one of the other two. I, I like Chattanooga is possibly that team with former Jayhawk Silvio DeSosa at the, at the five. The guard play there is really good. And a lot of times when you match up with mid-major teams, you know, the major conference team is a lot better down low. You know, they have a better athlete, a a longer guy. You know, he was a higher-recruited big man. And that's obviously not necessarily the case when you play Chattanooga because they have DeSosa. So when you add the guard play to what DeSosa is capable of, what he can do on the glass, I think Chattanooga is one of those teams. The other one is actually in Kansas's bracket. And that's South Dakota State. And South Dakota State is the nation's best three-point shooting team. Zeke Mayo, they baby. Four, they make 44% of their threes um, as a team, which is just absurd to think about. And they're balanced. They're, they're actually, I think, 10th in the country in two-point field goal percentage as well. And so it's not like you can just try and run them off the arc and – and hope that they don't kill you out there. They're they're going to kill you no matter where they're scoring from. And I think when you look at, at Providence's struggles at time de- times defensively this year, the fact that we've talked about on the show, the easiest way to win close games is to not play close games. And all Providence does is play close games. And then the fact that Iowa doesn't defend well, there's a chance for South Dakota State if, if they make their shots on that first weekend, would it really stun you for them to to make it to the Sweet 16? It, it wouldn't shock me that much, honestly. No, it, it wouldn't with me either. I'm I'm all in with you on uh, some of those. Um, do you have a, I don't know, whether it's a first-round matchup or maybe just something that you're kind of hoping happens just because you think it would be such a fun matchup to watch or a uh, fun matchup between players or something. Is is there a matchup or two that really sticks out to you of, of something you want to see this NCAA tournament? 
So one of the one of the other things that I was mad about, and the selection committee has done this a couple times now, or probably more than a couple. I I've really enjoyed watching Murray State this year, and watching Murray State, you know, as a seven draw San Francisco, another top mid major team. It, it's a little bit upsetting because you would have liked both of those teams to get the chance to to kind of prove their their medal against somebody else and but one of the things that i think is interesting related to that derek is murray state hasn't lost you know since i think reagan was president i mean it's it's been a a really really long time and and they know exactly who they are you know they they have a they have a a great chemistry that they play with and their second round matchup would be kentucky and when you look at this kentucky team one of the things that that jumps out so much about them is their fastball is darn near unhittable. Their A game is as good as anybody in the country, if not better. But Kentucky a lot of times doesn't bring that A game when they don't necessarily get juiced against the opponent. And when you look at, at Murray State, it, I think it's fair to wonder – is Kentucky going to be up for that game? Is it the sort of game where Kentucky's going to have its A game? And if Kentucky even brings its B game or its C game, I think Murray State's good enough to really provide some trouble there. And so I think that's one of the ones where I look at it and say, as good as San Francisco is, I think San Francisco is is maybe underrated in the eye test because I don't think a lot of people saw them and they see the advanced metrics, love San Francisco and, and don't understand why. As good as San Francisco is, I don't know that San Francisco can beat Kentucky, but I think that there is a very real chance that Murray State could beat Kentucky, depending on how that second-round matchup plays out. All right, so what's your final four, and uh, what's your national championship pick? You know, it's funny. I, I said all that about Kentucky. I have Kentucky in the final four uh, coming <laughs> Coming out of that uh, out of that region, I do have them getting past Murray State, but I do think that's a really fascinating matchup. Other than that, I, I went you know chalk with the ones. You know, I went with Gonzaga. Uh, I think the Zags are the best team in the field. I think Arizona has the best combination of talent slash their team being really good, and then the path that they have. And I think Kansas has the easiest path, and so. I think when you look at those three ones, you have the best team, the best team relative to who they're playing against, and the best path. And so I, I have those three number ones getting there. I have Arizona getting past Kansas in one, in one Final Four game, Gonzaga getting past Kentucky in the other one, and I have Gonzaga cutting down the nets for the first time in program history at the, at the end of all of this. So I, I think it's going to be a really fun tournament. A lot of times when it feels like there's this much uncertainty and this much parity, the tournament doesn't actually play out that way. And we wind up having a a fairly chalky Final Four, and I think that's kind of what's going to happen this time. Here's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Kevin, one last thing. What was the something you borrowed but never returned I would say probably yard tools. I, I, I know I'm not alone in that, but I think it's it's one of those yard tools and books. I, I think when you lend somebody a book, you're really just giving it to them because 
the chances that both of you remember that, hey, after I read this, I'm supposed to take it right back to you, it's uh, it's not something that uh, that necessarily happens all that often. He is Kevin Flaherty. Again, you can check out his work, 24-7 Sports. Kevin, thank you for the time, and happy bracket season. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, half hour to go. We're out early today for Westwood One coverage of the NCAA tournament. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com. Depend on it.